morning. My name is Pastor Milo. It's good to be with you this morning. Have you ever had dinner with a famous person? Uh, no, generally is the answer to that, yeah. If so, you've probably paid dearly for the privilege to do so. Uh, the going rate at minimum for a congressman or certainly the president uh, would be $1,000 a plate for a dinner. Uh, that's pretty tough. There's, there's an exclusive reason that that happens, so that that narrows down the crowd quite a bit. So uh, this afternoon, I'll be hosting cookies with the pastor. $1,000 a cookie, yeah, that's what I was getting at. Anyway, only a few will get that privilege. I've shared with you before, I served in the United States Marine Corps. I was, in the, I was a musician. I played saxophone in the Marine Band after I did the military things. Uh, then I got to perform. Uh, how many of you are a great, there's going to be one hand in the room, how many of you are, are great fans of barbershop quartet music? Oh, more than, <laughs> more than I expected. Uh, my wife is lying. Uh, so part of my responsibilities in the United States Marine Corps, your tax dollars at work, folks, uh, was to sing in a barbershop quartet, and I was the high tenor. Uh, so that means that you sing like this all the time. And so uh, what we did is I was in the Marine Band, so you'd, also, you'd always have the band would perform uh, on Thursday evenings. There was a graduation on Friday morning on our base. And so uh, Thursday evenings, the general, General Cheney, uh, would have a lot of uh, the upper crust politicians or whoever was going to be on the base the following day, he would have a dinner for at his house. And so we would provide the dinner music. A lot of times there was a jazz quintet. A lot of times there's all these different musicians that would have to come and, and perform. And so we figured out, there's four of us that figured out if we actually do this barbershop thing and if they're interested in it, we actually, there's fewer people that have to go there and work and we don't have to carry all of our stuff. There's just going to be the four of us. And for a while, uh, we were the dinner music week after week there, our barbershop quartet uh, at these really fancy dinners. So pretty interesting. I was not a guest at the dinner, but I got to be the special performance of the dinner. So if you came uh, to see the general, uh, you got to see me. Ta-da! Today I want to tell you how you can have dinner with Jesus. Uh, when we talk about having dinner with Jesus, you would think that everyone would jump at that opportunity to say, you know what, if I had that opportunity, if I could, I would want to have dinner with Jesus. But the kind of key point that we're going to talk about today is how many people skip out on that invitation. They will turn it down. When I say have dinner with Jesus, I'm using the metaphor that shows up in Scripture again and again, the joys and delights of being with Him in His kingdom. And my kingdom comes, is what He says. And, and being there, and we see it in the book of Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's very clear to us that we want to be there uh, at His banqueting table. His banner overflows uh, with love. And so that's where we want to be. And so uh, Jesus referred to it in Luke chapter 13, and we're not going to go over that portion of it today. There's a small commercial for you that we are not covering every single uh, verse of Scripture in the book of Luke here uh, on Sunday mornings, but at the 9 o'clock hour, Brian is also working through an elective, and he's, he's picking up some of the gaps that we're leaving here on Sunday mornings. And so Journey to Jerusalem is an elective that happens at 9 o'clock uh, in that hour in Centerpoint. So if you want to join uh, that class, you'll pick up on some of these things uh, that we can't always cover. But in Luke chapter 13, the narrow door, uh, Jesus talks about 
uh, people from all corners, north, south, east, and west of the earth will come and dine with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. But there will be many, it says, who assume that they were on the invite list uh, who will be excluded when we be held out. So I want to talk to you today, but I want to show you how you can be sure that you have a place at the dinner table uh, with Jesus. The unstated question is, well, what sort of person will be in the kingdom of God? And the, the Jews, the religious leaders of the day that we're going to deal with in the passage today, they assume that people like us will be the ones in the kingdom. People like us who have followed the rules of the law, who have, have uh, know the scriptures and know how to behave and, and have kept themselves from ceremonial defilement was one of the main things that they always said. So if you ask those same people, you said, well, who would be defiled? Uh, who would be unallowed to come to this dinner or banquet? And they would very quickly say, well, those who have defiled themselves from uh, cere their ceremonial unclean. And so that would be any Gentile, someone who's a non-Jew. Or then uh, it would go on further to say those who are disabled or crippled or uh, in some way have kept themselves from being able to be here. And those would be the, the ones, those scum of the earth would not be allowed to be in the kingdom of God because they have not been able to live to a certain standard. But Jesus is going to rank, yank the rug out from underneath them. He's going to flip the script on them and really talk about what these self-righteous assumptions do in regards to the gospel. So we are in this sermon series. It's called A Journey to Jerusalem. The naming of the series comes from Luke chapter 9, 51, where it says, Jesus, after coming from the transfiguration, sets his face towards Jerusalem. What would be a three-month journey, excuse me, a three-day journey now was going to take three months. And he was going to take some very specific time to teach his disciples some final things that he wanted them to know before he went to the cross. He set his face towards the cross, the pain and suffering that he would endure there for them, those disciples, and for you and for me. And, and Palm Sunday morning, we will uh, enter Jerusalem. We'll celebrate that at the same time uh, that it is uh, going to come up in Scripture. You've got to understand the setting of where we're at when we talk about dinner with Jesus. Uh, we're going to have the full parable is going to be here. It's on uh, Luke chapter 14, if you want to get your Bibles there. If you're using the black uh, Bibles in front of you, it's page 1092. Uh, the setting is going on here that Jesus has been invited to a dinner. Uh, a high-class meal where all of the people in the area who were someone were there. And Jesus has been invited to eat there with Pharisees on the Sabbath. And they are very specifically watching him. They've invited him in to see if he will violate some of their Sabbath laws, some of their ceremonial laws. In 1964, there's a book written called The Games People Play, The Psychology of Human Relationships. Uh, it's still a bestseller by Eric Burney. And this book talks about, it catalogs a series of mind games in which people, generally all of us, all the people in the room play these mind games in the way that we interact with one another. So if you're using that white sheet of paper, it's an outline just so you know where I'm going with this message. The first point that I want you to see this morning is Jesus sees through the games that we play. He's going to demonstrate that for us here in Scripture today. Jesus sees through the games we play. So why are you here today? Why did you come to church this morning? What was your game that you were playing? Why were you talking with people? Who did you choose to talk to this morning when we greeted one another? And who did you not talk to? Who did you interact with? Who did you not interact with? Was your drive here with the family this morning a colossal fight? And then as soon as you entered the, the kids' entrance area, all of a sudden you're the perfect model family. Gotcha. 
No, actually, that's our first film this morning. It's gotcha. The first game that Jesus sees through, the games that we play in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, is a game of gotcha. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling in his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law. He turned and looked at him. He says, is it faithful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they still had nothing to say. Your feeling this morning is this. When they try to trap Jesus, then they find that he sets others free. When they try to trap Jesus, he sets others free. They, they believed that it was improper for him to heal someone on the Sabbath. And so this man there in front of the home, that he was invited to come to a meal there on the Sabbath day, was a plant by the Sadducees, by the Pharisees, so that they would see how he would act and behave on the Sabbath day. They had set up this trap, this game of mousetrap, so they could yell, gotcha, we knew that you would heal. And so he turns and he looks. This man, some of your uh, versions may be the King James Version that talks about having dropsy. Or it's a condition uh, uh, that we would say uh, he is holding water, retaining water. It could be a kidney issue or those types of things. And generally the, the face would be very droopy. Like the, the cartoon, the dog, droopy. It would be like that where there's just there's retaining of water. And this man is lying there in front of the home. He's been placed there to see what Jesus would do. It was a game of cat and mouse. It was the game of mouse trap. Remember that game where everyone takes a turn and eventually you turn the little crank? And if, if your game actually holds together, because they never, all the pieces never go back together the right way, that there's this trap that falls on them. And that's what they're trying to do is set a trap. Jesus was not your typical polite dinner guest who went out of the way to make sure that he didn't offend anyone there. No, he turns immediately and looks at those who have set the trap. And he said, what would you do if? What would you do if your ox fell in the well? What would you do if a child fell in the well? What would you do? And they had nothing to say. So he openly defied the leaders and healed the man. You're going to see here in this passage, if you want to take your pencil and your Bible while you're going through, you're going to see the word invited. He was invited to this meal. You're going to find, depending on your translation of the Bible you're looking at this morning, 10 to even 12 times that you'll circle the word invited as we go through the different parables and the different illustrations that Jesus gives. You're also going to see statements that start with, when they, then Jesus. When they set the trap, then Jesus responded in this way. And you're going to see kind of that as the way that things are set up this morning. So when they try to trap Jesus, they find that he sets others free. The games, Jesus sees through the games that we play. First game was gotcha. Here's the second game. Musical chairs. You remember musical chairs? Everybody lines up. There's ten of you, there's nine chairs. You march around and around in circles while some uh, poor unfortunate barbershop quartet sings for you while you march around. And eventually the music stops. And what happens when the music stops? Everybody grabs a chair. And there's one person without a chair. What happens to that person? They're out. Go home. Get lost. We start again. We take a chair away and we do it again. Start the music. 
Verse 7, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone, here's that word, invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have also been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take a, the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, come, move to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. As Jesus is looking, he notices the fact that there's this game of musical chairs going on. He also is very privy to the fact that he has specifically not been giving a seat of honor. Most of the commentaries that I read during this week of just looking at this would say, oh, he was very specifically given a very low place in the room. And he was expected to negotiate with other people to try to find himself a better seat. And as he watched this unfold in front of him, this is your fill-in. When they try to humiliate Jesus, then they find that he is exalted. When they try to humiliate Jesus, then they find that he is exalted. Any of you who has a toddler or a child who's a little bit older than that, what is the first thing that they do? They do something they think is spectacular. They brush their teeth, and they, they come to you and they say, Daddy, look at my teeth. Look at me. Look at what I've done. I want you to see my accomplishment. I want you to be excited about what I've done. And it's pretty normal for a toddler to do that, but it's pretty embarrassing to watch grown men run around and play musical chairs. Hey, look it. I got, I got the best seat. When they try to humiliate Jesus, they find that he is exalted. Jesus watched as these proud men tried to find the best seat in the room and place themselves in a way that they would get noticed. Nowadays, it is gracious for a host at a wedding or at some formal dinner or even at dinner at your house, perhaps, to, to go ahead before anyone comes and set out table places. Uh, where's Levi at? He's, he's putting together, you're putting together the table places for your wedding this fall, right? It's a miserable job. I mean, it's a great thing that we all do. Uh, for a wedding for that most beautiful day, right? It, like you're trying to figure out where do I put people and who's going to talk to who and where do I make sure that nobody's offended and how do we make sure that Aunt Susie is, is not sitting next to Uncle Earl because the two of them are going to, there's going to be a problem. So we've got to set them on the far sides of the room. You know this process, right? And so in their tradition, their culture says, ah, don't worry about the seating chart. They'll just do it. They'll figure it out. Can you imagine the chaos of that? Oh, they'll just find the right place and they'll move their way around the room and they'll make it and like that you could actually move your way to a better location in the room. So yes, Jesus is giving good social cues, social advice. Pick a lesser seat and you'll be asked to come to a better seat, a better location in the room, and then you will not be humiliated. That's good social advice. But Jesus is giving a lot more than that. Really, Jesus is showing the path to salvation. Because the truth is that none of us deserve a high place at God's table. None of us have any business being in the room. The reality is, is that the prophets of the Old Testament, they talk about being uh, the lowest of low, of being a pile of dung in relation to Jesus, in relation to God. And as Jesus is teaching this, 
The gospel teaches that who, he, the one who deserves the high place, and we will see that he, he actually took the low place for you and for me. Why? And in doing so, he would be exalted. And by us, giving of ourselves, that we too would be exalted because of him. He took our place at the cross and offers us his seat at the table. Jesus sees through the games that we play. Here's the third game that we all play. Scratch my back, and I'll scratch yours. Scratch my back. Verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your guests. See that invitation word again? Do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, then they may invite you back so that you will be repaid. But instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, if you've been following, as we've done these little breakdowns, we see when the leaders did this, then Jesus responded. When he saw the way that they had set up their seating diagram, then he responded. So then Jesus said to the host. So first he said, here's good advice to you socially if you're ever in an event and you don't know where to sit. But then he turns and talks to the host. And he says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, you see, this is your feeling. When the giving was self-seeking, when the giving was self-seeking, they find that Jesus cannot and will not repay. When the giving is self-seeking, they find that Christ will not, cannot repay. As if the tension was not great enough already, Jesus was dealing with all these other things. He talks to the host himself and tells the host, you have invited the wrong people to this party. Is that awkward? You've invited the wrong people to this party. So inviting the rich, the influential people to this meal was an important part. That was actually part of the Jewish way of doing business. So by not doing that, it was basically committing economic suicide to say, this is the way that we interact as a culture. And Jesus is saying, don't waste your time here. He tells the host, this is not the way that you should go about it. Instead, you should invite those who cannot repay you at all. See, if you had invited, this is a strategic economic decision to invite people into your house who could then uh, be uh, people who would invite you back to their house and you would do business this way. And the richer the person is that you invited, the, the better odds are that you're going to get invited to their situation, to their party, so that then you would be able to do business with a better group of businessmen in that uh, particular, you're going to work your way up the food chain. So of course you'd invite the rich, because your generosity to them would be a benefit to you. This is not so far from what we do, you realize that. Scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. You realize, we, we're really, we're worse than the Pharisees. The Pharisees would take social status and do so with meals, and we do that. Uh, we do that from a business standpoint all the time. But we take something that's, that's a necessity, and we turn that into something that we stylize into different levels of coolness, something as simple as a pair of shoes. A pair of shoes do not need to cost $100 for a pair of shoes. But they do because it's a matter of style, a matter of choice, or a purse, or a wallet, or a jacket, or all those things. Then suddenly what might cost you $50 is now $500, or 
thousand dollars and it's all about style, all about something that is a necessity that has now been blown out of proportion has everything to do with status. So no, it's not a dinner table for us. Perhaps this is not something that you've negotiated for lunch this afternoon. It's, it's the pants that you're wearing. It's the clothes that you came in here today with. It's far more foolish. It's dumb. Yet we don't set ourselves above those things uh, uh, that way because we do the same thing with the cars that we drive and the houses that we live in and the clothes that we wear. This is the reality of the world that we live in. And so as a side note here, we need to, when it comes to our possessions, here's two mistakes that Christians make when it comes to their approach to their possessions. First, the idea of our possessions or our finances is you're free to spend all your money, all that you own on yourself as long as you give God a tip. That go crazy, knock yourself out, drive the car that you want, live in the house that you want, uh, just have all the things that you want and give God a tip. Maybe if you're, if you're a good tipper, maybe you'll give him a 10% tip. This is foolish because this parable says, no, your whole life ought to be spent with a focus on God's kingdom. And a kingdom focus focuses on others, not on yourself. And some of you have been here and you feel pretty good about yourself, whether it's been for a year or five years or ten years or five minutes, that you've, you've said, you know what, I have been giving 10%. And because I've been giving 10%, I can pat myself on my back and live like the devil for the other 90%. And that's not what Christ is talking about here. If that's the case, you can't really call yourself a disciple of Christ because that is not what he is teaching on this journey to Jerusalem. Now, the other extreme, the other way that, that uh, the other approach towards possessions that Christians will make is also improper. The idea, the wrong approach, that it's wrong to enjoy anything or have anything at all. That we need to all live as paupers and that there's, there's no reason for us to have any possessions here on earth because the reality is, is God teaches us in Scripture. It's biblical for us to work hard, to have a hard work ethic, to have something to show at the end of the day. That is a biblical thing. But it's all about perspective. It's all about our motives. You see, a man or a woman should not give out a sense of duty or a man or a woman might give purely from motives of self-interest. That's incorrect. Might give out, as we're seeing here in Scripture, a feeling superior to others. Those are all different ways that we are misled by taking our possessions and using them for ourselves. What's the bottom line? Well, it's on the screen in front of you right now. When their giving was self-seeking, then they will find that Christ cannot, will not, absolutely will not condone or repay. However, however, he says here, if you give and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, then you will be blessed. And even though they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Specifically talking about giving here as a church, we cannot repay you. You understand that. When you give to the local church, we are, you are giving to someone or an entity that is doing our very best to love the people who Jesus loved the most, to reach the people that Jesus wants us to reach the most, to care for those who are not being cared for except that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them and that we go to them. That's our approach. But you understand that we can't repay you for that. 
No, what Scripture teaches here is that our treasures are in heaven. That our blessings, our return on that investment is an eternal return rather than something that is here in this life. When their giving was self-seeking, they find that Christ cannot repay. Jesus sees through the games that we play. You invite Jesus to dinner, he's going to see through these games. Here's the fourth game. Who's not ready? Apple peaches, pumpkin pie. Who's not ready? Holler I. Basically, everyone in the room starts hollering I in this parable. Verse 15. When one of those at the table heard him say this, then he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Things have gotten quite awkward. First, Jesus goes after the people who are uh, moving around and try, like the shell game, trying to find out where to sit. He, he, he deals with them first, and then he turns and he talks to the host, the person at, that invited everybody there, and he tells them, You've gone about this the wrong way. And someone in the back of the room, like to break the ice, said, this is an awkward moment. You could cut the tension with a knife. He says, well, won't it be great when one day we all be at the banquet feast? And Jesus is about to say, yeah, it is going to be great. But you're not going to be there. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, there's that invitation again. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike begin to make excuses. One of my first favorite statements is, you cannot tell a great leader by his great excuses. They made these excuses. The first said, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Please excuse me. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. He ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room here. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And I'll tell you that any of those who were originally invited will get a taste of my banquet. Your last fill-in this morning is when they deny the master's invite, they won't taste the feast. When they deny the master's invitation, then they won't taste of the banquet feast. He has given them every opportunity. Now, the very literal thing, when Jesus is standing there, because again, when you look at Scripture, you have to say, what is happening right now? When Jesus is standing right now and talking to the religious leaders of the day that he is standing in front of right now, the reason why they think that one day they will be at that banquet feast is because they are the Jews, because they are not only the Jews, but the elite Jews, those who have lived by every letter of the law as well as you possibly can. Uh, they have lived under that, and they said, that's why I'm going to be at the banquet feast. And he tells this parable and says, all of you who think that you're going to be there, you've made so many excuses, you will not be at this feast. That's the immediate crowd that he is talking to. And he says, God is angry with you. I've, I've shared with you, I've, I've sent my prophets to you, and you've pushed them away, and you've given all these excuses, and so what am I going to do? I'm going to bring the Gentiles, the, the, those who are far from Christ, I'm going to bring them to me. When they deny the master's invite, then they won't taste the feast. The first excuse is business-related. 
First said, I've just bought a field, I must go and see it. This is a flimsy excuse. Who would buy a piece of land without looking at it? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Who would buy a piece of land without looking at it? And, and, and of course, you have to look at it right now? At dinner time, right now, today, now is when you have to look at this land. How long have you owned this land? You need to go do this right now. Some of you have actually gotten an excuse like this about dinner. I have. I've got this thing going on, I've got to go do this thing. Right now, you had to do that right now, right, at, right when I invited you to dinner. The second excuse isn't much better. That excuse is about the five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to go try them out. You didn't try them out before you purchased them? You didn't test drive the car before you got into it at all? I'm going to go test drive the car that I just bought. Okay. Okay, also a flimsy excuse. So like the first man, this man was caught up with his possessions and his work. He can't even take time off for dinner because he's so obsessed with those things, even though Jesus has invited him to dinner. And then the third one's a little trickier for us to swallow. It has to do with the family. He says, I just got married, so I can't come. And Deuteronomy chapter 24 says, When a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home for one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. You get a one-year honeymoon. Levi. Both hands in the air for that one, right? Yes. A one-year honeymoon. By design, that was so that what? So they could be happy together. He's not charged with any business, not going to war, not doing any work. And he says, I just started my honeymoon. I can't come to dinner. The reality is, is even though that seems noble, chapter 14, verse 26 is where it's going. He says, he's going to go on to say, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We're not going to dig in very deep there this morning. Again, Brian is going to be talking about that next week in the elective. But the reality is, is that none of these excuses are sinful. They're just excuses. None of them are wrong in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong to be taking care of their family. There's nothing wrong with buying land. There's nothing wrong with having oxen or animals or machinery to work that land. There's nothing wrong with marriage or the love of family. The Bible commands us to love our family. The Bible tells us to work hard. But the point of this is these things are legitimate, but they have their rightful place in the kingdom of God. And that rightful place is below God. The rightful place is under the banner of love, as the song goes. One of the main hindrances that will keep you from having dinner with Jesus is that you are so full of your own goodness that you'll miss the invitation. You're so busy with the things that you are doing, potentially good things, that you miss the invitation to dinner. Your pride will make you say, when you get that dinner invitation, you say, oh, great, I'll come to dinner. I'll, me just, I'll bring the salad, and so-and-so will bring the dessert. No, 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 no. Come to dinner. You see, Jesus sees through the games that we play. We try to negotiate back and forth with God. God is God, and we are not. We have nothing to negotiate with. We bring no value to the table outside of who Jesus is. 
The seat that we're sitting at the table, as I said earlier, is the seat that is bought and paid for with his life and death and resurrection. But Jesus invites you to come as you are. Jesus invites you to come as you are. In the parable, they go out into the city and the streets and they pull in everyone and they compel them to come. Come in. Come as you are. No, you don't have time to get dressed. No, you don't have time to clean up. No, you don't have time for any of those things. Come as you are. The banquet is about to start. Be here. In our churches, our churches need to be a place. And this church needs to be a place that understands when we want to have our doors open, when we want to be a place where people come as they are. I want you to be here this morning understanding you came as you are. The foolishness that I'm going to go and get healthy before I go to the doctor. That I'm going to go get some money before I go and try to go to work and make money. Like, that doesn't work that way. It's foolishness. It says come as you are. The banquet is about to start. In Revelation chapter 22, when it's talking about this banquet, it says, verse 17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty say, Come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without a price, Come. So the bride says, Come and join me. Come to the dinner. Those who have heard but have not responded yet, come and join me. Come to dinner. Even though you've, you've heard the truth, you haven't responded yet, come. Come in. Those who thirst after the living water, <coughs> which is all of us, come. How is the final state of humanity determined? It's not in the games that we play. Who's at that dinner table? It's not some arbitrary reward system that's come and it's fixed in eternity. And if we, we live things on the positive rather than the negative, if that balances out just enough that we're there, that's not how it works. And these games that we play are foolishness. And Jesus sees through them. He says, it's a waste of your time. Come as you are. Is it by what we've done in this present life? No. Is it by how wealthy you are? No. Is it how good you are? How, how moral you are? You've given away everything you have to the poor. Great. Where is your standing before God? And why are you standing there? The simple question that was asked to me, this is a thought-provoking question this week, is when you stand before God, when you look at those gates to go into heaven, what is your ticket? What, what is the reason why you get into heaven? What reason do you have? Well, I've lived my life this way. Okay. Well, I've helped this many people. Okay, I started this organization. Okay, I've been to church this many times. Okay, I've got perfect attendance. I came with the flu. Okay, your standing before God is entirely about Jesus Christ. By our response to the universal and this undeserved invitation to come. The band is going to come forward. We play a song and sing here at the end each week as a response. The invitation is there. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, and what? They've come short. The best that we have is not good enough. The very best ideas that we come up with are, are, are not enough. For all have sinned and come short 
of the glory of God. John 14, 6, however, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, what? Comes to the Father except through me. And then that truth is repeated in John 1, 12. For as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. So for you this morning, your response First of all, is maybe to just understand, Jesus sees through the game you're playing this morning. Jesus knows what you're up to. He knows better than whatever it is that you've contrived and you feel like you fooled everyone else in the room. Jesus sees through those games. But he invites you to come as you are. Why would you turn down this invitation? So for some of you, it's an invitation to meet Christ for the first time, to stop playing the games. Others of you have been there. You know that Jesus died for your sins. You've accepted that. You've taken that gift. You've taken that invitation. What a very practical way, maybe, for you to respond this morning is just to look at this passage that has so much to do with a meal and the interaction of a meal. Hospitality is something that you have not considered Hospitality of something of inviting people into your home and being able to have a dialogue about things of God is something you maybe have not been willing to do. Is God calling you to that? We as a church need to be hospitable, but maybe you need to be hospitable with your home itself. In the book Bowling Alone, the Harvard professor chronicles sociologically and statistically the decline in hospitality in the last few decades. Specifically, bowling. Those of you, I know there's some of you who are bowling fans. More people bowl alone than ever before. Statistically, the number of people playing cards together is down 25%. The number of bars, nightclubs, and taverns where people used to congregate are now down 40%. Full-service restaurants where people walk in, sit down, and have a meal are down 25%. But fast-food restaurants are on the up of 100% because so many people eat their meals, guess what, alone in a car. Having an evening with a neighbor is down 33%. And having friends over to your home is down 55%. You know, inviting someone to your house, using this passage, this parable to spark something, if you're just inviting someone over for a meal, might be the most countercultural thing you could do this week. The people that you bring in your home, into your life, they would be outsiders, perhaps, someone who couldn't pay you back with a meal of their own. If you were to do that, that would be revolutionary. What's your response this morning? Is God calling you to himself? You say, I just, I want to be at that banquet. I want to be at that meal. Will you, will you tell me more about it? Yes, I'd love to. Love to start a dialogue with you. There's a white connection card in front of you. The offering plates will be coming forward in just a moment. Actually, gentlemen, you guys can come forward. Just write something down there to be able to respond in that way. And secondly, I'm going to take this step. I'm going to, I'm going to invite someone into my home. Or I'm going to be hospital. I'm going to do something that's not self-serving. I'm just going to give in a way that I'm not going to get anything in return. Because Jesus says he's not going to return things that are self-serving. Maybe you respond that way today. Would you write that down on your connection card? You don't have to get super specific if you don't want to. But we want to be praying for you as you take real steps towards Christ. So Lord, we thank you this morning.
Lord, we thank you for this time of giving, this offering. Lord, for some, this is the way that they need to respond. Lord, they've been negotiating back and forth, and Lord, you've just told them to give. Lord, to give without looking for loopholes, without looking for ways to be self-serving. Lord, just to give out of the surplus that you've given them. You are above all. But there might be some here this morning, Lord, they just need to respond. They need to respond and say, God, I don't know you. And I've been playing games and I'm trying to look like I've got something to offer you. And maybe this morning something has sparked and said, I've got nothing to offer. But God, I need you. That invitation to come is something I want to accept that gift this morning. And then thirdly, Lord, if there's someone who just need to respond and say, I've got to be hospitable. I've got to use this invitation to invite someone into my home. I've got to think through uh, ways that I can live presently in my community, in my, my circle. Lord, work in hearts this morning. I trust, Lord, that you will give people the guts to respond to what you have challenged them to this morning. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The band is going to sing. The offering plates will come through. And then we ask that you can stand and join the band after that. If you have any comments, any concerns, questions, I would love to talk to you. I'll be in the back after the service. Thank you.
listen to the call of God in your life and the invitation that he's given to you. Respond to the Lord this morning as he is speaking to you and as Pastor Milo spoke through the word. Don't walk out the doors today until you have made a decision to follow Christ and to live your life for his glory. Let his glory be the anthem of your life today. Let his glory be the drive of your life today. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. Silence the boast of sin and grace. Heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory.